Yeah, good to see you this morning. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord, my church family. So uh, once again, glad you're here. If you're joining online, welcome to you. We are in week two of a three-week sermon series going through Romans chapter 12. We've called it uh, 21 Days in Romans 12. So go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you would, please. Open up to Romans 12. We're going to be looking at verses 3 through 8 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, feel free to take one from the seat under the seat there in front of you. We're going through Romans 12 because uh, it's, a, it's a chapter, it's a hinge chapter in Romans, and it really helps set the trajectory of where we're heading this fall. And in many ways, it captures our vision and mission statement here at Faith E Church, which is this, becoming fully surrendered disciples who love God, love others, and share Jesus. That's why we're going through this. Now, as you're opening to Romans 12, maybe you're already there, I want to talk about a young man by the name of Christopher McCandless. It may be a name that sounds a little familiar to you. There's been a couple books written about him. Uh, There's a biography written about him from a guy named John Krakauer. It's called Into the Wild. It's interesting. I've read some of it, and I'm kind of fascinated uh, just by some of his life's journey. Because after he graduated from college, McCandless set off and just kind of traversed the country, kind of a nomadic lifestyle. He lived in hermit camps, places like that, and he eventually hitchhiked his way all the way to Alaska, where he had the plan to backpack into the backcountry, live in isolation at least for a season, live off the land in his pursuit for happiness. And that all came to fruition. He backpacked about 28 miles into the, into the mountains there in Alaska, and he found an abandoned bus of all things, a transit bus, how it got there, I'm not really sure, but he ended up staying in this bus for a season. And after a few months there, he decided it was time to travel back to civilization. And this is where the story really begins to turn tragic because the river he crossed in order to get to the bus had now swollen in size. It was much deeper, maybe twice as deep and twice as wide, and he couldn't get across it. So he goes back to the bus, and he continues to stay there, and he eventually starves to death. That's what authorities believe when when he was discovered. It's tragic, obviously, he loses his life, but little to his knowledge, about a half mile down river, there was a hand-operated cable car that would have got him across the river. In addition to that, it was about a month after his passing that moose hunters there in Alaska found his his body in the bus. And as authorities went through his his belongings, they discovered that his time in the wilderness was really quite well documented. He kept a journal, he had some books that he read, he wrote some notes in the books. He also had a camera. He took some selfies with it, including the last picture of him alive. It's him there in front of the bus. You may have seen this picture. He's there alone in isolation. And as you look at that, you can kind of see, yeah, just a lot of, it kind of maybe it invokes a lot of thoughts, emotions in you. And one of the things that he wrote, they discovered this in one of his books, he wrote this little, this little phrase, which said, happiness is only real when shared. Happiness is only real when shared. You see, part of what it means to be human, of how we're made, means to be that we're made to be in relationship. Really in relationship both with God and with others. If there's one thing we can all agree on coming out of COVID-19, no matter where you're at on the spectrum, we can agree on this. People are not meant to be in isolation, right? We're not meant to be around others. I believe Christopher McCandless discovered this in a poignant way, but for him it was too late. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks. That's really where the Apostle Paul now goes in Romans chapter 12. He goes to this area of talking about relationships. Today we're going to look specifically at relationships in the context, the community of the church. 
We're going to see that Paul talks about how we've all been given certain gifts, abilities, and we're called to be participants in the church, to contribute. And kind of like McCandless said, happiness is only real when it's shared. We're going to see that the gifts we've been given, the gifts we have, are meant to be shared. So we're going to be talking about, and as we unpack that title, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul really answers three questions. Where do the gifts come from? Who are the gifts for? And finally, how exactly do we share these gifts? That's what we're going to look at. Those are the questions we're going to answer today. So if you would, follow along as I read Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, serve. Teaching, teach. Encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. What a gift that we can hold the very breath of God in our hands. We are grateful children. Today we come desperately needing, a hear, needing to hear a word from you. Holy Spirit, I invite you into this place. Would you fill our hearts, transform our minds, speak to us through the word of God. We're listening. Speak. Your servants are listening. Pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. The Apostle Paul starts, as we talked about earlier, when Pastor John was leading us through worship, he starts here in verse 3 with that phrase, for the, by the grace given to me. And we took time earlier in the service to thank God for his grace in our lives, and I hope you did that, because each one of us are recipients of his grace. And the Apostle Paul, he starts this way because he understands, he embraces that his apostleship rests in the grace of God. That's where his authority is. It rests in the grace of God. And so then he continues on in verse 3 and he makes this statement. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. It's interesting in that statement when I studied it, I discovered when you look at it in some of the words in the original Greek, there's a particular word that's used four times in that statement. It's the Greek word phronio, and it means to think. If you do observations on that verse, maybe you notice that the word think is there a few times. In the original Greek, like I said, it's used four times, including for the word judgment. The original word for the word judgment is to think, phronio. A literal way you could kind of read this verse is like this. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think of yourself, but rather think of yourself with sober thinking. You see what Paul's doing here is he's really talking about a sober way of thinking, a right way of thinking is rooted in God's grace. Understanding that we wouldn't even exist, we would have no gifts apart from his grace. And then really, this all attaches back to what we talked about last week. This is kind of a continuous thought that Paul's having. And we talked about that renewed mind, a renewed way of thinking. Remember that? It was in verse 2. 
What we think about directs how we live. A right way of thinking leads to a right way of living. And a renewed mind happens when we meditate on God's word. I hope you took an opportunity to do that this past week. Follow along in that trifold handout we gave you, 21 days in Romans 12. If not, if you missed that, if you didn't get a handout, we have more of those, those pamphlets. I encourage you to do that this week with the verses that we're studying today. You see, it's with a renewed mind that helps us understand, or at least begin to understand the depths of God's grace. It's with a renewed mind that keeps us away from that self-centered way of thinking. Renewed minds lead to a sober way of thinking about ourselves. We're the created. He's the creator. He's the giver of life and the giver of gifts. That's what renewed mind, a renewed way of thinking is all about. It's interesting. Something else that jumped out at me as I was studying this is that the word grace in Greek is the word charis. Charis. And the word gifts is the word charisma. Virtually the same. Certainly the same root word. And it's no big surprise because they're really the gifts we have are dependent on God's grace. They're locked together. Here's the point that I want to make by this. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. But the point I want to make right now is this. Where do the gifts come from? They come from the grace of God. We sang about it. We see Paul talking about it. And there's some blank lines in your worship guide. There's four next to that first question where do these gifts come from? They come from the grace of God. If you fill that out, there should be pens in front of you. I'd take a minute to do that. I'd encourage you to do that. The gifts we have that are meant to be shared, they come from the grace of God. You know, I think a lot of times people get this one a little backwards. Maybe we, we really, we, in our flesh nature, we all have the propensity to do this, right? And there's some people that just kind of act like, well, I'm God's gift to humanity, right? You ever been around somebody like that? I notice nobody's raising their hand, but they're kind of annoying, aren't they? They are. And when Christians act that way, well, it's beyond annoying. Actually, it's detrimental to the witness of the church. You see, God's hand isn't on the proud. Actually, he opposes the proud. We talked about this in James. James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud. There's not a lot of question about that, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, the proud, the arrogant feel like they're the gift, and they own the gifts, and they don't recognize that the gifts are from God. That's a tendency that maybe we all could slip into if we're not constantly presenting our bodies, our entire self, as living sacrifices on the altar of God. Once again, we talked about that as well. Living sacrifices... On the altar, say it's all about him, 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 but sometimes we crawl off the altar as a living sacrifice, right? And it's mine, 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 mine. Kind of like the seagulls. But there's something different, isn't there? There's something winsome. There's something attractive about somebody that just exudes God's grace. Those kind of people, you know, they always say, by the grace of God, I'm here today. There's something about them. There's a humility that undergirds their very lives, isn't there? That's what the Apostle Paul's talking about here. And I think it's a statement that probably we all can add a little bit more to our vernacular, our way of thinking, our way of speaking by the, by the grace of God, by God's grace, by God's grace. Let's say those three words together as a church body, by God's grace, by God's grace. You may have seen and heard about a um, baseball pitcher, happened a few weeks ago, I believe, with my favorite team, the Philadelphia Phillies. Name is uh, Michael Lorenzen. He pitched a no-hitter, only the second time he's pitched for the Phillies. Pitch a no-hitter. 
Later that day, in a media interview, this is what he had to say. <laughs> I just had to, I had God's grace today. And I definitely have to thank God for that. I give him all the glory just to be able to keep me calm and trusting him in him. That's what he said after a no-hitter. National TV in front of the media. His Instagram post describes him as somebody that's unashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's somebody playing for a bigger team than the Phillies, and that's coming from me. That's somebody who understands the gifts that he's been given are from the grace of God. It's a sober mind. That's the right way of thinking. And here's what's amazing about all this. I, when I think about it, it just blows me away every time. God doesn't need to give us any grace. He doesn't need to give us any gifts to accomplish his will. But yet he chooses to, not out of necessity. Oh, no. But because he desires to work through his people to bring his kingdom to earth, we get to be participants in God's divine plan. Think about that. What a gift. What a privilege. It's kind of like a five-year-old. He sees his father building a house, and he wants to help his father build a house. So he says, Dad, can I hammer the nail? The dad gives him the hammer, right? So the boy can hammer the nail into the board. But all the while, the father's hand is on the hammer, guiding it, giving him the strength. He's doing all the heavy lifting the father is. And then the boy runs in and says to his mom, Mom, guess what? I built a house for Dad today. That's what happens. We begin with humility. Humility. We can't even begin to participate in God's kingdom work. We're not going to be used by him unless we're willing to be humble. You see, our Father's hand guides, gives strength, does all the heavy lifting for those who are broken and humble in spirit. Our Father's hand guides the humble. And yes, that begins with meditating on God's word. That's where we get a renewed mind. That's where it begins. But Paul continues this now for the rest of Romans 12, that it begins there, but it must continue in the context of community, being around other people. We're not meant to be isolated. Live in isolation. The apostle Paul, the farthest thing from his mind was to ever think, including the disciples thought this, Jesus demonstrated this, that you don't grow in the faith apart from the body of believers. Becoming a fully surrendered disciple, it doesn't happen doing it all on your own, Right? Not meant to be in isolation. So from verse 4 all the way through the rest of chapter 12, Paul begins to deal with relationships. And in verses 4 and 5, he makes this, this analogy. It's pretty common. A lot of us have heard this in the church world. He makes this analogy about the church and the body of a human being. Right? You've probably heard this before. And it's interesting. This is the second time that the Apostle Paul uses the word body here in Romans chapter 12. You see, I mentioned this earlier, the first time he talks about it, it's presenting our bodies, our whole self on the altar to God as a living sacrifice. He continues that thought, not only are we to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God, but we're also to do that in the context of community, be a living sacrifice around other people. You see, really worshiping God, being completely devoted to him, means serving him and serving others. Love God and love others, the great commandment. So Paul launches into that here in verses 4 and 5, this, this analogy, and he says this. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Again, if you've been in church, you've probably heard this before, and I can talk a lot. I can go a lot of different directions here with these two verses. 
But I really want to capture the essence of what Paul's talking about because he's, he's looking at the body and there's two big categories he's discussing regarding this body, analogy. It's diversity and unity. That's really what's coming out here. Diversity and unity. For example, diversity here in verse 4. We're told that the body has many different parts. This makes sense to us. It's practical. We understand this illustration. Different parts. And the parts have different roles. That's diversity. But they must come together and work together as part of the body. That's the unity part, right? I mean, you can't chop off your foot and expect your foot to do when it's disconnected from your body what it should do, carrying you down the pathway. You can't chop off your hand and expect your hand to do when it's disconnected from the body, right? I mean, let me take that back. It may do what the hand's going to do if you're part of the Adams family, right? I mean, maybe then it will. Check this out. was make-believe in case you're wondering that wasn't real life that's not how it works right the hand needs to be connected to the wrist ligaments part of the rest of the body in order to function properly and, and here's kind of the diversity part too could you imagine a, a church full of hand, picture that a church full of those kind of hands running around all over the floor uh, that's kind of scary that's weird right that'd be a little awkward glad we don't have that could you imagine a church full of the same kind of person could you imagine a church full of Paul McClintock's? You talk about really scary and really weird, right? <laughs> Trust me on this one. No. It takes all different body parts to come together for the body to work, it, work and function properly. Now, just because some of those parts, some of those roles are a little bit more visible, doesn't make them more important. Oh, no. Not whatsoever. And I think you know what I mean. When you shake somebody's hand, of course, it's attached to the wrist, right? And the first thing you look at after you shake their hand is probably you look at their eyes. I don't know, maybe their hair. Maybe their nose. Maybe a nose hair. Hopefully that's not the case. Not every, don't everybody go like this right now. You're okay. But you see what I'm saying? When you meet somebody, you, you, don't, kinda, you don't see their liver. But the liver play, plays a pretty big role in the body. It's important for the body to function right. You tracking? Give me a little head nod if you're with me. Well, let me, as you're nodding your head, let me give you something else here to help you out. If you ever meet somebody and they say to you, you look like you got a nice liver, here's, the, here's, here's what I would tell you to do. Shake their hand, say, good to meet you, God bless, and run the other way. But all joking aside, it does take all of the body parts working together, doing what they're supposed to do in order for the body to function properly. And although diverse, no body part is more important than the other. Just like nobody's role in the church and the gifts that we've been given to use in the church is more important than somebody else's role except one. And that's the head of the church, the body part of the head. And there's only one who's the head of the church, and his name is Jesus. Nobody else. 
Only him. Ephesians 1.22 says this, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. He's not head just over everything of the church, but the entire cosmos. And his name is Jesus. When the church treats anybody else as its head, when the church puts anybody or anything else on the throne instead of King Jesus, there's going to be problems. There's going to be problems. You've probably heard of some of those in the big C church around the world. So what happens? He's the head and him alone. And not only is he the head of the church, but part of his role as the, as, as the head of the church is he really brings unity to it. We're unified through him. That's what Paul talks about here next in verse 5. He says, So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. How cool is it as followers of Jesus in our own uniqueness, in our own different gift mixes, that we're united in Christ. And belonging to Christ, united in Him, we also belong to one another. You ever thought about that? Take a fresh look at what Paul's saying here, because that's what he's talking about. And here comes the second point. The gifts that we have that are meant to be shared are meant to be shared with the body of Christ. With the body of Christ. That's point two. You can fill that out in your worship guide if you'd like as well. There's four blank lines. The body of Christ. And as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we've all been given spiritual gifts. We have. We'll talk a little bit more about this towards the end, because Paul brings that up. He uses this body terminology, the Apostle Paul does a lot in his epistles and his writing, not only to describe the church, but also to talk about how God himself descended from the heavenlies and put skin on and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. Jesus put on the body of a man, and he gave his life freely to set men free by dying on the cross for us. He was sacrificed that way. So the call for all of us in response, this is only logical, is now we live for him as living sacrifices for Jesus. And check this out. Check this out. As individuals that make up the body of Christ, the church, we now are the very manifestation. We are the representation of Jesus' body here on earth. We get to now, as the church, bring his kingdom here. You ever thought about that? This is beautiful. Is church important? <laughs> yeah. Is church God's plan A to bring the kingdom here after Jesus went back in the heavenly throne room? Yes. Should we be part of it? Should, should we attend church more than 1.2 times on average per month? Yes. Should we, should we use the gifts that God's blessed us with through his grace to serve the community of believers, his body? Yes. 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 Because he desires that for us, and it's a privilege for us. And we'll talk about this in a moment, but it's a place where he actually fills us up in a more abundant way with his grace. So let me sum up this point this way. Jesus gave up his body for us so we can now be part of it. That's the privilege. That's grace, isn't it? Jesus gave up his body so that you can now be part of it. And we move into verses 6 through 8. And this is where the Apostle Paul really begins to describe. He lists out seven different gifts. We don't have time today to go through those seven, define them. And look at each one. As a matter of fact, throughout the scriptures, we see different lists. Some of them contain some of these spiritual gifts. Um, but we see them throughout the scriptures. So to help with this in your bulletin there on the front, you'll see a little 
box that lists a lot of places in the scriptures that you can cross-reference this week that have spiritual gifts. I'd encourage you to do that as you meditate on these verses. And if you need some help with definitions of the different spiritual gifts, well, we'll talk about this in a moment as well, but there's a shape assessment that you can take, and that'll help you with some of the definitions of those. But I want to end with that how question. How are we to share these gifts? How, how are we supposed to do that? Because that's what Paul's going to address here in verse 6. And, and in verse 6, he really kind of goes back to verse 3, talking about grace. Check it out in your Bibles. This is what he says in verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Like we said earlier, those gifts are from the grace of God. And how does he distribute them to us? Well, through his Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. One of those cross-referenced passages is 1 Corinthians 12. talks a lot about the body and other spiritual gifts. And there in verse 4, in 1 Corinthians 12, says this, There are different gifts, kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. You see, these gifts of grace by God are distributed through His Holy Spirit. Through His Spirit. So here's the definition that I want to give you around spiritual gifts, and you don't need to write this down because it's also in your worship guide below those lists, and it's this. Spiritual gifts are special abilities given by the Holy Spirit to every believer according to God's grace for use within the context of the body. Special abilities given to those who follow Jesus according to His grace delivered by His Spirit for us to use for the body of Christ. That's what a spiritual gift is. Now, I mentioned earlier how that Greek word for gifts is charis. You may have heard that. And you may, you may guess, perhaps, a word that you hear thrown around today, sometimes in the church, that comes from that word. Any guesses what that might be? Yeah, yeah, I heard it. Good. Charisma, right? Or even, you take it a step further, Charismatic. And it seems like there's some way of thinking and, and kind of dividing the church, the big C church, into two camps on this issue. You've got the charismatic church, right? You may be familiar with this, and I'll talk about it. And you've got the non-charismatic. And in those two camps, sometimes you can have extremes. For example, in the charismatic camp, there can be kind of a hyper-focus on the gifts themselves, kind of like the gifts become the goal. And as a result, sometimes in that extreme camp, the spotlight shifts on the person with the gifts instead of the spotlight being on the giver of the gifts. You with me? That's the extreme there. And then you can kind of flip to the other extreme in the non-charismatic camp that thinks, well, there's no gifts today. They've all ceased, uh, save maybe for the gift of teaching, and reading the Bible, and that's it. Kind of thinking of the Holy Spirit as though he has no power, no authority. It can't transform men's hearts and minds today. Almost treating the Holy Spirit like he's an iPhone 4. Pretty good a few years ago, but not so good anymore, right? <laughs> Sorry if you've got an iPhone 4. Struts, you probably got one. But you see what I'm saying? Both extremes can lead to a pride-filled way of thinking. Like it's got to be on my strength. And, and really the healthy place, and this is more often the case, isn't it? It's kind of somewhere in the middle. Sometimes where the tension is the highest, right? The healthy place is understanding that we have spiritual gifts that God's given us in his grace to be used for him. The healthy place is understanding that we have the spirit of the living God inside of us. And God is alive, active. He's at work. He's transforming men's lives today. He hears our prayers. He answers our prayers according to his will. Amen? I'm grateful for Faithy. I feel like we've got a good balance there. 
And may we continue. I kind of liked how David Watson, I read this, he summed up this topic this way. I thought it was pretty good. All word and no spirit, we dry up. All spirit, no word, we blow up. <laughs> right? Both word and spirit, we grow up. I feel that's in line with God's word. John 4, 23 and 24 says, We are to worship the Father, how? Spirit and truth. It's spirit and truth. So on those final four blank lines, if you would write those four words in spirit and truth. How are we to give these gifts that we've been blessed with according to God's grace? We're to dispense them and give them in spirit and truth. That's how. That's how. These gifts are from the grace of God to be used for the body of Christ. And we use them in spirit and truth. And all of these gifts have one thing in common, no matter what list you, ha- you look at, and it's this. They're meant to be used, right? You don't get the gift of a fly rod and stick it up on the shelf and hope it catches fish. By the way, that's happened to me recently. I was gifted one of those. No, you take it out and you catch fish with it, don't you? The gifts we've been given are meant to be used. Which then kind of really begs the question, well, we understand what a fly rod and the gift that, that might be, but... What are our spiritual gifts? How do we go about determining that? And that's a good question. And so I kind of want to end with a little discussion around that. And one of the things that I've heard regarding spiritual gifts and how they're described is kind of like a palette of watercolor paints. And I thought this was pretty good. Because you may have a bunch of different colors, uh, spiritual gifts, a little bit of a lot of different colors, but there's going to be some that are primary for you, primary paint colors for you. And, and the paint colors that you may have more of are going to be different than other people's. Just kind of making sense, you get in the picture. And so that's all fine and well, but how do we go about determining what those watercolor paint colors that we might have more of are? How do we go about determining our spiritual gifts? And so I, I want to give you a couple suggestions here. A good place to start is, well, just start, right? Start serving, jump in somewhere, start helping. Uh, it, it, when, when you do, you may find that your spiritual gift is revealed. I appreciated another thing that I heard that w- I thought was pretty good. And it was a comment that says, God only directs moving vehicles. Yet y- you might have to take the vehicle out of park, park and put it in gear and just start doing something. Start doing something, right? And sometimes when you jump in and start serving somewhere, you find that it fills your bucket more than other areas. You get more water so you can distribute more paint. That might be your spiritual gift. Start doing something. Start doing something. And I appreciate talking about doing something. We've got a ton of volunteers today for the Mega Block Party. Good job, Faithy Church. That's cool. If you haven't volunteered for that and you still want to, show up tonight. Find Diane after the service. It's a great place to start, something like that. And you may see how you're gifted. The next place to really kind of help determine your spiritual gifts is what I call the say test. And here's what I mean by the say test. First and foremost, what does God say your gifts are? That's, that's the biggest voice we need to listen to. What does he say your gifts are, your spiritual gifts are? A great way to determine that is spend time asking them. Prayer, fasting. I encourage you, even this Tuesday when you pray and fast, ask God, if you don't know, to reveal your spiritual gifts to you. And by the way, I've heard some, some great testimonies about, from so many of you about the time you spent this past Tuesday praying and fasting. Keep that up. Keep encouraging to do that on Tuesdays. 
That's the first step. What's God say then next? What's your best friend, your spouse? What do they say your gifts are? They'll help confirm some of that, won't they? And look, if you're here and you don't have any friends, you're not married, ask mama what your gifts are. Mama tell you what your gifts are. And then finally, the third on the say test, these are all in your worship guide, is what do you say your, your gifts are? What do you say? Now, here's what I mean by that one. What do you, what do you talk about a lot? <laughs> Maybe what are you critical of? <laughs> dare I say. Now, I'm in this with you. I'm in this with you. But dare I say, what do you complain about the most? Because what you complain about the most, well, that might indicate what your gift is. Like I said, I'm here with you. I'm not pointing fingers. Street be coming back at me. Because let me give you an example. Paul sometimes likes to complain about leaders. So Paul gets kind of critical when I might see a void in leadership. And guess what? Just so happens I've got a little bit of gifting around being a leader. I'm not perfect at it, trust me. But there's some gifting there. You picking up what I'm throwing down right now a little bit? really quiet. Like I said, I'm there with you. You might be somebody that says, why aren't people more merciful? Maybe you got the gift of mercy, and you need to use it. Visit a shut-in. Make a phone call. Visit somebody in the hospital. As I thought about this, it reminded me of Matthew West's song. He played it when he was here a year or two ago called, Do Something. You got a song called that, believe it or not. And here's how, here's how kind of the song goes. There's a guy in there, and he's looking around the world. It's broken. It's dark. It's a mess. And he cries out to God, God, why aren't you doing anything? And God answers him in the song. He said, I did. I created you. I created you. We've been created for a purpose. Each and every one of us have been given special gifts by God to be used for his church. Each of us have been. Figure out those gifts. Might be time to just do something. Take the car out of park and put it in gear. You can do the say test, and finally, you can always do um, what we call the shape assessment. Maybe some of you have already done this, but there's a little QR code at the bottom of your worship guide. You can scan that. It'll take you to the link. It'll help you determine what your spiritual gifts are if you have no idea. It might even affirm what you think they are, check that out. And then in October, we're going to have a follow-up class led by Pastor Brent. He'll walk through that in a little bit more detail, and that could be very helpful. Even if you don't do the class in October, you can still go online, take that spiritual gift assessment. It's free. It takes about a half hour. can be very helpful. I have that one last for a reason, because I think sometimes we take these you know, spiritual gift assessments, these personality assessments, and we take this spiritual gift assessment, and we may get too wrapped up, too boxed in by it, Okay, nobody got that. Spiritual gift wrapped up. Okay, sorry. You guys are a tough crowd. But here, here's what I mean. You, you might get the results, and, and it's like, okay, some of your strengths, some of your gifts are maybe, maybe prophecy, leadership, teaching, right? And maybe a score a little lower on the mercy part. And, and I think sometimes there can be maybe a temptation, even a tendency to think, well, I'm not very merciful, so I'm just going to run over people and be a jerk and be a chicken nugget, right? That's not how we're called to exercise the spiritual gifts that we're given. Matter of fact, mercy, mercy, mercy is a virtue, and we're all called to be merciful people. We sang about that earlier. In addition to that, Jesus has all the gifts perfectly, and we should desire them too as we follow him and become more like him.
But the reality is, we live in a broken world. Until we reach heaven in a glorified state, we have been given certain spiritual gifts. Some things we have are more strong than others. And we've got a finite amount of time on planet Earth to be kingdom people, so it's important we use that time wisely. In the business world, you may have heard this, we call it soar with your strengths, right? And you heard that, there's a book out there. Another way to put it is exercise the gifts God's given you and don't exercise somebody else. Somebody else's, right? In a way, that's a sober way of thinking. That's a reasonable-minded way of thinking because the nose doesn't try to do what the feet do, right? The eyes don't try to do what the liver does. As I thought about this, I was reminded of somebody that served here at Faith E. He's a part of the body here over the last couple weeks, and He's been running around, um, updating, and working on some of our security equipment. And as I've watched him do that, I've, I've kind of noticed a, a certain sense of joy that comes out of him when he works on it. And I heard him make the comment, he said, this is part of the way that God's gifted me and I can bless and serve the church. And I thought, how cool. How cool is that? You see... We may not be able to see the work that he did every day. It might be a little bit more like the liver. He may not like that I'm calling him the liver right now. But just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not important. Increasing the safety for us in this world we live in and for our children, that's a big deal. We get to be participants in God's divine plan and help bring his kingdom here to the city of Billings, to the community around us. What a privilege. What a privilege. We each have been given spiritual gifts to use for him. Now, I know there may be seasons where some body parts just need rest, right? I understand that. Sometimes you need to pull back and just be filled up a little bit. I've been there too. Sometimes there's seasons. Just don't let those seasons turn into an eternal time of rest. Because remember, as you're resting and getting poured into, there's other people that are serving and doing the pouring, right? I remember when my wife and I, we were about a year into coming here to Faithy, quite a few years ago, young marrieds, and we met with Pastor Sam Summers. Many of you may remember Pastor Sam and I remember meeting with him. I had a little bit of an axe to grind, to be honest with you, because I went into the office and I said, Pastor Sam, and who has since gone on to be with the Lord, but I said to, I said to Sam, how come Faithy Church doesn't have a young marriage group? Come on. And he said to me, we don't have it because you're not leading it. Started helping lead a young marriage group. I kind of needed to hear that. Put the car in gear. Get it out of park. I'm so excited. I really am. It's just, it's just a blessing, an encouragement to watch how God's working here at his church, at Faithy. I'm excited to see what he's going to continue to do as we move into the fall. And one of the things that just warms my heart, it just blesses me, is how many people have signed up for Rooted Groups. So many of you recognize the need to be in a small group, to have those kind of relationships. You understand that we're not meant to be in isolation. I'm so grateful for that. But you know what? 
we don't have enough leaders. We don't have, a, we don't have enough leaders. And I know, I know, leadership is tough. Trust me, I get it. But I know, oh, I know, there's many of you here at Faithy that have the gift of leadership. You know what? There are so, we are a church packed full of people with a variety of gifts. And the church works best when everybody's working together. Being part of the church is not a spectator sport. It's not. You've got to get into the game. Many of you serve, and I'm so grateful for that. But really, because we've been given these spiritual gifts born out of God's grace, we have an obligation to use them to help others grow in their faith. That's called discipleship. It's called becoming a fully surrendered disciple. And I understand there's so many challenges in the world that distract us, that pull our attention this way and that way. There's the busyness of life. There's the schedule. There's the hectic things. Maybe there's even scars and wounds from serving in the past at some place or whatever. I understand. And sometimes you just got to push through the challenge, push through the pain a little bit. Kind of like when you go to the gym to exercise, you got to push through that because when you get to the other side, you know what? You'll experience God pouring his grace into your life and your cup overflows. And there's something, there's so often something unexpected that happens when we serve. Because we have a heavenly father who takes his paintbrush and he uses all the different watercolor paints and he paints his masterpiece, the church, the body of Christ. I want to end our teaching time at the time of communion. Time of communion, and as you get up, where we have the elements scattered throughout the worship center, and grateful for those who make that happen. That's a big job. You don't see it, but it gets done. And as you get up and get the elements, what I want you to do, I want you to look around and see the body moving, and, and see the body of Christ, and know that you're part of it. Now, before you get up and get the elements, just a couple things about communion. It's only for those of us who are followers of Jesus if you've never experienced God's grace in your life, placed your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd invite you to visit with one of us pastors right after the service. It's the biggest decision you'll ever make. But hold off from communion. And also, we're called to take communion in a worthy manner. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, that when we take communion in an unworthy manner, it hurts the body. It hurts the body. So after you get the elements, sit down, if you would, and spend some time at the feet of Jesus. Repent of anything in your life that might be hurting your body, physically and spiritually. Things that you might be doing, saying, or thinking that go against God's ways. Take some time, give it to the Lord, and ask for his Holy Spirit strength to not return to that. So go ahead, get up and get the elements if you would now. I think we've got some gluten-free ones up here. And look around you and see the body of Christ.
It was there at the Passover meal, the last supper that Jesus would have with his disciples. He took the bread and he broke it. So would you take that little bit of bread and break it in half? And he said to them, this, this bread is my body broken for you, broken for you. As often as you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Take a minute right now to thank him that he gave up his body so that you can now be part of it. Thank him for that. Likewise, he took the cup. He said, this cup represents all that I've done for you. This cup is my blood poured out for you. As often as you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup and drink of it together. Take a moment once again to thank him that we can now be counted as sons and daughters of God because of Jesus' blood poured out for us. Thank him for that. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks that you made a way. Thanks that you tore the veil so we can access the very throne room of mercy and grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you are there right now by the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. We are grateful. Thank you for being our king. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, could I ask you to please stand? Going to get you out of here. Before you leave, just a couple of housekeeping things. As always, you became prepared to give of tithes and offerings. We have boxes for that in the back. There's a link online. That's a continuance of worship. It's what allows us to do things like we're doing today with the Mega Block Party, to love our neighbors. And once again, have an opportunity to come. It starts at 5. Would you invite somebody to do that? Invite your neighbor to do that. Bring a friend. Bring yourselves, your family. Looking forward to that today. We've got a lot lined up. And Why? Because we love people. We just want to love our neighbors. That's why we're doing it. We're going to give them some food. It's going to be a great time. Also, if you're here today and you could use prayer for anything, I want to tell you it's a privilege for us to be able to pray with you. I'll be up front. There'll be some other pastors. We'd love to do that. Now, as you leave, remember, God's given you, you, spiritual gifts as a follower of Jesus. And we're called to use those gifts for the body of Christ He's given those to us in his grace, and we give them in spirit and truth. Have a great week. Love you guys.